Shall we begin? Why not? Welcome to Frankie Sense and More. It's like she's got a whole lot of goodness for you with a little bit of sass. Frankie, did you just say... She sure did. Not to mention, along with... Whoops. Join us now as Frankie Picasso and her new co-host mix it up with authors, musicians, and interviews with world-changing people. Let's begin. Okay, let's begin now, because it only makes sense. Welcome to Frankie Sense and More. It's so great to have you guys back every week. I just love knowing that you're here with us. Um, I have a special guest for you today. You know him as the Good Radio Network's movie correspondent, who comes on monthly to give us fabulous reviews of the movies we should be seeing. But Brent Marchand is also a longtime student of metaphysics and an award-winning author of Get the Picture, Conscious Creation Goes to the Movies, Consciously Created Cinema, The Movie Lover's Guide to the Law of Attraction, and his latest release, Third Reel, Conscious Creation Goes Back to the Movies. And all of these provide reader-friendly looks at how the practice of conscious creation, also known as the Law of Attraction, is illustrated through film. Now, Brent is featured as a contributor um, on Smart Women's Empowerment. He's also a Conscious Cinema contributor to New Consciousness Review Magazine and The Happy Guide. He has a new gig as Cinema Scribe, a segment contributor to Bring Me to Life Radio, and he has written many, many articles for Library Journal, BeliefNet, Vivid Magazine, New Age News, and MasterHeart Magazine. And, of course, you can read his own blog on his own newly renovated, beautiful website, www.brentmarchant.com. And each week, of course, you can read his column at thegoodradionetwork.com. So today, Brent, we are here to celebrate you and chat about your new book, Third Reel. And later in the show, we're going to review a few movies. Uh, if we're lucky, maybe it'll be lucky. Battle of the Sexes, Victoria and Abdul, Columbus, and Blade Runner. So welcome, Brent. You're on the kind of other other side today <laughs> well thank well thank you so much frankie it's great to be back or both sides maybe we should <laughs> we should say um now you were also up as i think it remembered for a crystal chalice award now that was supposed to be uh given out on october 21st how did you do uh unfortunately it's an honor to be nominated <laughs> yes it is <laughs> well said well said no actually I, I was very surprised to be nominated in the first place so it, yeah. that that really was that was quite an honor so good for you well the third reel is you know your latest volume and i have to tell the audience that I have never really truly met anybody who, I'm not going to say you're perfectionist, although you are, um, but you really don't shy away from uh, the minutiae. You know, you really don't. Like all of the bibliographies and all of the, you know, the dates and the times and the, like, man, like you really go deep and it's amazing and, and wonderful. And especially for people, you know, like myself who likes that kind of information. I like to know, you know, I like, I, I'm the person who stays for all the credits, I want to know who the gaffer is, you know. <laughs> <laughs> well, so, well, I do, I do aim to be thorough, and that's that's actually scared. from my, that's from my my background training as as a journalist. So, right. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> that, so, that comes with the territory. I, I I just wanted people to know that that it's not fluff. It's you know it's heavy and it's weighted and it's well thought out and of course it's metaphysical. And you said, um, I think I read somewhere that the third reel is really your master class. The first two are, are teaching people about conscious created cinema, about the law of attraction, that they might, you know, find some things that in the movies about life and how they can learn to live their own life. But this one is the master class. Why, why do you say that? Well, the main thing with, with uh, the intent behind this book is that I wanted to take it to the next level. Um, the first two books, Get the Picture and Consciously Created Cinema, uh, I set out the basic roadmap for understanding how conscious creation works and how it's illustrated through movies. And I was giving readers the basic principles saying, you know, here's the, here are the, the rudiments of what it takes to make this process work for you. In third reel, I decided that I wanted to take it to the next level and show people some of the finer points, uh, some of the ways they can nuance the principles that they had learned from the first two books to make them work more effectively so they get better results. So for those who haven't read, the books um when you're reviewing a movie or looking at a movie from the 
you know, viewpoint of, of the law of attraction or conscious creation. What, what are you looking at? What are you looking for? Well, I go in, I always go in with an open mind because sometimes, you know, the ideas just aren't really, you know, jumping out at you. Sure. Um, but basically one of the things I find is that movies often contain these ideas regardless of whether the filmmakers, you know, had purposely intended, yeah. <clears throat> had purposely intended for them, for them to be there or not. Um, and, the way I got into all of this to begin with was that when I first started learning about conscious creation and the law of, law of attraction principles and started applying it in my own life, it brought about a number of important changes. And when people would ask me, well, how did you do this? How did you turn things around? How did you get things to work for you the way that you have? I would start talking about conscious creation in rather theoretical terms, and I'd end up getting a lot of blank stares looking back at me. Mm. So I thought, okay, how do I get this across in a way that's going to make sense that people are going to be able to grasp on and so forth? Now, as somebody who's been a lifelong movie fan, um, just in general conversation over the years, I've often drawn upon movie lines or movie scenes for analogy to describe mm-hmm. how certain situations work. And it would always, you know, people would always get the point when I would do that. So it occurred to me, well, why not do the same thing? for helping to explain how law of attraction and conscious creation principles work. And when I did that, I started seeing light bulbs going off over people's heads. Ah, so, yeah, so that clever. gave me yeah, so that that gave me the connection to, to to unite these two seemingly, you know, unrelated topics to help explain them and to do so in a way that's both enlightening and entertaining. Is there one movie, I mean, I want to go through some a bunch of movies if we can, but we're going to go to commercial break in, in about two minutes just to give you an idea uh, before we go into a big, long soliloquy here. Um, but is there one movie in particular that most people have seen, let's say, that, that we can draw from and go, this is what we're talking about? Well, I don't, I don't know if necessarily most people have seen it, but the movie that came out about a decade ago called The Secret, Yep. Uh, yeah, that's the one I think that really gets the basic points across really clearly. Uh, it was an introduction to the subject for many people, and and that was really, I think, a very important jumping-off point for helping to make this fusion between movies and metaphysics a, a combination that mm-hmm. you know readers could relate to. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, not not a specific like not like The Secret, but like a. You know, a PG movie that that would be in the movie theater that people would have gone to see. Well, one of the ones that I really like that's in the new book is is the unusual comedy called Stranger Than Fiction. It's actually the movie that leads off the book, mm. um, <clears throat> where you have a, a character who is literally brought to life from the intents and the beliefs and the ideas of her, uh, yeah. the character's creator. Yeah. And uh, the character is suddenly faced with having to come to face face to face with his own sentience, his own awareness, and wondering, where did I come from? How did I get here? And what do I want to do with it now that I'm here? That's an excellent film and, and really very cool. Um, we are going to go to a commercial break in just, oh, about 15 seconds. So when we come back, um, let, we're, let, let's explain a little bit more to those who don't know anything about the law of attraction, what it is, how it works. And then they'll be able to see a little bit more clearly how it how it works in the in the movies. We'll be right back. Don't go anywhere. It's Frankie Sense and More. My guest today is Brent Marchant. Frankie Sense and More. We'll be right back after we pay the bills. LinkedIn. It's a great tool and a great way to do business in today's social media driven world. And Carol McManus is the LinkedIn lady with the LinkedIn Lady Show Tuesday and Wednesday afternoons at 4 p.m. Eastern on AllBusinessRadioNetwork.com. The LinkedIn Lady Show is designed to inform, inspire, and educate businesses. Every social media site has a specific demographic, personality, and purpose. And the LinkedIn Lady will interview a variety of guests, such as business owners who can showcase their business and talk about how they use social media, such as Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, Google+, Pinterest, and of course, LinkedIn. For more on Carol and the show, check out her website, LinkedInLady.com. As trends change and new applications become available, the LinkedIn Lady Show will bring that information to you in an easy-to-use, fun, and engaging way. Every Tuesday and Wednesday afternoons at 4 p.m. Eastern, it's the LinkedIn Lady Show with Carol McManus on AllBusinessRadioNetwork.com. This is the TokiNet Radio Network, radio with a cutting edge. It's Marching 
I managed to run out of coffee again this morning. I didn't even have enough to make one cup. Boy, was that a miscabobble or big mistake. Because I make serious coffee. So strong it wakes up the neighbors. Now, I don't have a problem with caffeine. I have a problem without caffeine. I get wadgety and brickety. Did you know apples are more efficient than coffee for keeping people awake in the morning? Unfortunately, I didn't have any apples either. Acorns were used as a coffee substitute during the American Civil War. Without my hot cup of coffee in the morning, I'm feeling pretty squirrely myself. What do you call that piece of cardboard that wraps around your coffee cup to keep from burning your hand? A zarf. It's marching I'm Carolyn Davidson, and you can have fun challenging your words-you-never-heard vocabulary with my free app, Too Funny for Words. And we're back. It's Frankie Says Some More. Welcome. Thanks for sticking around. Uh, as we mentioned just before we went to our break, Brent and I are going to talk about the law of attraction, also known as conscious creation, and what it is so that when you're watching the next movie that, that you know, you're enjoying, maybe you can have a look at it and uh, maybe help yourself and see where conscious creation is working for that character. So, Brent, you said that, you know, was was a secret the first place that you heard of the law of attraction or did you know about it before that movie came out? No, I, I actually knew about it long before that. Um, mm-hmm. the, the ideas were first popularized back in the 70s and 80s through the writings of an author named Jane Roberts. Mm-hmm. Uh, she was uh, uh, an advocate for the uh, for the policy, the philosophy, mm-hmm. and she often um, wrote about this uh, concept from many, many, many different angles. It's a very comprehensive approach to the way the material was discussed. Mm-hmm. But in those books, it, again, it was primarily from a theoretical standpoint. So, uh, unless you were somebody who was really drawn to that material in, in that kind of a context, uh, it might have been easy to get you know turned off by the idea. Sure. Uh, so uh, the, she idea, Seth, uh, the Seth series, right? Yeah. So yeah. the idea the idea of, of bringing the material in through the movies uh, for me was a way of helping to make it maybe more reader friendly sure. for for readers that way. Um, and the other thing that was important about it is that you know when you look back through history, almost any major philosophy or uh, religion or spiritual or metaphysical text, they almost always rely on the power of story to make mm-hmm. their points. And I think that's important because it gives readers a tangible example that they can hang on to and say, mm-hmm. "Oh, I, I get that now. Yeah, okay, let's 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 go. Let's keep going." So, um, that, and that's basically where this came up with uh, for the the books that I've written. So for you, what what does the law of attraction mean to you or look like to you, if you were to explain it to somebody? Well, the concept is really pretty simple. It's the idea that the reality that you experience is brought about as a result of the power of your thoughts, beliefs, and intents mm-hmm. working in conjunction with you know the universe or God or all that is or whatever term you want to use to describe that. Um, basically, it's a partnership that helps to take the intangible and make it tangible. Mm-hmm. Um, you could describe it in terms as simple as you create your own reality or thoughts become things or mm-hmm. life is what you make of it. I mean, it might those concepts might sound a little simplistic, but they're actually really very true in terms of the way the, uh, the heart of this philosophy works. They are, but there's a few rules that go with that philosophy, and a lot of well, people who have read The Secret go, it's not working. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, yes, yeah, probably the first and foremost is that uh, you have to understand that it's not a salad bar. You know, right. You, you can't pick and choose what you do create and what you don't create. If you're going to embrace the philosophy, you need to understand that everything that you experience comes from you. Good or bad. Yeah, that, yeah, exactly. Um, mm-hmm. And a lot of times when somebody experiences something quote-unquote negative, that's when they get turned off and walk away and say, oh, this stuff doesn't work, I'm not going to do this anymore. Right. Well, the thing is, a lot of times, though, those kinds of experiences serve as a springboard to getting us to where we want to go, to where we want to be. Uh, They help to expand our awareness, our understanding of things. Um, It's the the proverbial, uh, you know, silver lining in the cloud notion in many ways. So, you but know, it's, it's always funny, like, too, when, when people think, oh, it didn't happen. I, I asked for it today. 
Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Imagine the connections (laughs) that the universe has to make. You know, you have to meet this person first and then that connection and this and that. And then everything has to come together just so that you can have that one little thing you asked for. I mean, it's amazing how how it does work, but it works on the universe time, not on our time. (laughs) <laughs> and oftentimes it comes about in a way that starts out very small and simple. Yes. And you might not necessarily recognize the significance of it at the time when it initially happens, but it's oftentimes the, the trigger point that gets the whole ball rolling. Yeah. Like when I, when I try to teach people about the law of attraction, I usually just start with something really simple. Like today I want you to think about red cars. And, you know, normally you don't notice red cars or purple cars or yellow cars, but when you start to think about them – You see them everywhere. And that's sort of how the law of attraction starts or works in that way. You know, you're, and, and some of the rules are that A, that you have to um, make it as if it's already happened. So you think, you know, be grateful for what's already happened, even though it hasn't happened yet. And for some people, it's very difficult. So one of the things I, I learned law of attraction from a gentleman by the name of Michael Logier. And Michael made it very simple that you can say, um, I'm in the process of, because when you're in the process of, you can believe it's believable to, to your mind, to, you know, to yourself. So I'm in the process of, you know, getting this wonderful new mansion or wonderful new car or wonderful new job or whatever it is that you, that you're trying relationship to whatever it is that people want to create. And I, I, you know, um, one, one of the movies that I really loved way before the secret came out was, uh, um, uh, what was it? Oh my gosh, I can't believe I just lost it. I was just thinking about it a moment ago. Down the rabbit hole. What was that one? Um, I was oh, thinking, what, the, what the bleep do we know? Yeah. yeah, that was a great movie. I love that movie. Well, that actually, in many ways, is, is sort of like the, the next step up from the secret. Mm-hmm. It's a bit more uh, involved, it's a bit more sophisticated. Uh, the irony is that it actually came out before, before. the secret did. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, but for those who have seen The Secret, if they're ready to move to the next level, they should go and watch What the Bleed Do We Know because that will take the ideas that they learned in the first film and expand upon it even further. So when is, you were Which is somewhat the... analogous between what happened you know, with my first two books and with Third Reel. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So when you were choosing movies um, for this, the Third Reel, like, what were you looking for specifically? Well, I was um, looking for movies that reflected the principles that I wanted to discuss in the book. Mm-hmm. So, for example, the chapter that opens the book is titled Mirror, Mirror, mm-hmm. which is the idea of coming to a, a really clear understanding of how the idea that the reality that we experience really is a, a reflection of the thoughts, beliefs, and intents that we're holding on the inside, mm-hmm. some of which may take some time to actually get to be aware of. Sometimes we may not fully comprehend exactly what our beliefs are, Right, But if we can see them reflected back to us through the reality that we're experiencing, then it brings the whole thing into a much sharper focus. So like I mentioned before, the movie uh, Strangers in Fiction, that's mm-hmm. a really good example of, of something being mirrored back directly to the people who are putting out the ideas to begin with. I mean, imagine that you're creating this character in a book and the, and the character is, you know, walking in the door next to you or something. It's like, wait well, a minute, exactly. you seem so familiar to me. <laughs> exactly. And, and, and the real irony in this, too, I, when I talked about the idea of becoming aware of what your beliefs are, yeah. the author who is creating this character in, in the movie is suffering from writer's block. Yeah. So she's not even aware that she's doing it. <laughs> Yeah, that's great. It's great. Yeah. And beliefs are something that people, you know, they don't often question as a coach. I mean, I'm always, that's like the first thing I ask people, like, you know, what about their beliefs and, and they've never actually questioned what they believe. And, and a lot of times it's what your family believes or your taught, your teacher believed or somebody else, not you. And, and when you actually become mindful of it and question yourself, what is it, you know, am I really do I really think this way about money or am I really afraid of spiders? And is this really true for me? Oftentimes it's not. They, they're surprised. It's oh, funny exactly. how we don't question ourselves though. Yeah. And it's also interesting too, how a lot of times you know, when people might start to first use this particular philosophy, uh, they'll make an attempt at um, bringing about the reality that they think they want. Mm-hmm. But then they look at the results and they say, well, how come they're not lining up? This isn't what I asked for. Yeah, and and that's because a lot of times we have beliefs that conflict one another. Mm-hmm. Uh, for example, uh, two of the most potent ones that hold people back are fear and doubt. Sure. So if you if you're looking and saying, yes, I really want to become a millionaire, 
oh, but I don't know if I could, I don't know if that could happen. Or, mm-hmm. or gosh, I'm, I'm afraid of, I'm, you know, that I won't be able to handle the responsibility of managing money. Well, then you're putting out mixed signals to the universe and saying, well, which do you want? <laughs> you say you want it, but then you're saying you don't want it. So, And people who help? win the lottery often lose all that money. Yeah, really exactly. They don't hold on to it because they don't believe, you know, it, you know, one of the things about money, too, is that people will think, like, let's say you grew up in a family and they, oh, I hate those rich bastards. Well, if you become a rich bastard, you're going to lose that money because you don't like them. Like, you have this, in coaching, we call it an underlying automatic commitment to not liking them. Even though you don't know it, everybody says, I want money, but if they really did, they would have it. Oh, so, exactly. And, know, and, and, and also, if you're letting doubt creep into things. Yeah. You know, you're saying to the universe, I don't think you can do this. Well, it's the universe. It can do whatever the hell it wants. Yeah. Push-pull, push-pull. So you're you're automatically cutting off your collaborative partner at the knees. Yeah. You know, that's not going to bring you the results you want either. So you have to take a very close look at finding out specifically what the beliefs are because if you let them, you know, contradict one another or if you let them get in the way of one another, you're not going to end up with the results that that you want to achieve. And you see it a lot when people are looking for a relationship. You know, they yeah. describe their perfect man or woman, and, and you know, then there's, like, one little thing that they forgot. And they go, oh, no. <laughs> I forgot they're supposed to be nice, or I forgot they're supposed to be this or that, you know. And it's so funny. Like, go back to the drawing board. Try again. That was, you know, you're almost well, there. Well, exactly. I knew, I knew somebody who once put out the intent that um, they wanted to be able to love someone unconditionally. Mm-hmm. They, they forgot to put in there that they wanted to be loved back unconditionally. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> um, and naturally, the re- you know, the, the result was, you know, the relationship didn't work. Right. But. Yeah. Well, you have to be clear. Yeah. You have to have clarity. And that's when you start to question your beliefs and, and really understand who you are and what it is that you want. But when you do... The results are magical. And, you know, they say they say in quantum terms that, you know, this is our holodeck and you get to create whatever it is that you want. So go, happy creating today. Well, exactly. It's interesting that you brought up the quantum angle because that's one of the things that sometimes um, people might be a little bit skeptical about embracing this philosophy because they say, well, it's all that wooey, wooey, metaphysical, mm-hmm. airy, fairy stuff. You know, how can I trust that? But in many ways, the principles of quantum physics – from a scientific standpoint, operate almost identically. So you're getting almost two sides of the same coin in terms of the way these principles work. One is expressed in metaphysical terms, the other in scientific, but the bottom line is that they work essentially the same way. Yeah, it's fascinating. It really is fascinating how it works, and it does work because you see, you know, I I put a picture of my home on, on my screensaver. I looked at it for two or three years. didn't happen instantly, but almost the exact house popped up and I bought it. I mean, it was incredible, and I recognized it because that was the house I wanted. So it's really, really cool. We're going to go to a commercial break in a little less than 20 seconds. When we come back, we're going to talk to Brent more about his book, about the principles in the book. And, you know, I I wrote up – I did a little write-up saying that, you know, it could just possibly change the world. So we'll talk about that too. How can this – change the world when we come back heck no we're just getting warmed up frankie sense and more we'll be right back after we pay the bills it's the fitness minute with fitness expert annette hammond what is healthy living a good checkup at the doctor's office choosing to eat a big salad full of vegetables instead of a greasy hamburger Attending a yoga class instead of sitting at a theater movie with fat-laden buttery popcorn and candy All of these are good steps to healthy living. Living a healthy lifestyle is all about the choices we make every day, all day. It's choosing good, nutritious, low-calorie food instead of processed food. It's selecting a brisk walk for 30 minutes instead of playing on the computer for that time. It's being active with your children instead of sitting on the sofa watching TV. The small decisions we make every day is what builds a healthy life. Choose long life with energy, mobility, a positive outlook, and well-being by choosing to live a healthy life. I'm Annette Hammond. It's words you never heard. Halloween is almost here, and the scarecrows, or tatty doolies as the Scottish call them, are out. 
But Halloween is all about trick-or-treating, and that means candy. The average American eats 24 pounds of candy a year, and most of that consumption occurs around Halloween. What do you call a person who loves to eat? A grand gosier. Popular costumes for this year are happy face and wink face emojis. Of course, since it's a presidential election year, there are various costume choices for those who wish to dress up as Democratic candidate Hillary Clinton or Republican candidate Donald Trump. If you ask me, the only thing scarier than Halloween this year is the presidential election. What's another word for the fear of Halloween? Sam Hainophobia. I'm Carolyn Davidson, and you can have fun challenging your words you never heard vocabulary with my free app, Too Funny for Words. Welcome back to Frankie Sense and More. It's more Frankie and Brent, and it's today is all about Brent. <laughs> all about the movies and Brent and his books. So it's so cool and conscious creation, I might add. So I did I did leave you with a little bit of a hanger when we went saying that, you know, it could possibly change the world. But before we go to possibly changing the world, let's talk about a little bit more from the third reel. Now, one of the chapters that you have is is, is called Cautionary Tales, which is something that you wouldn't think would be in a book like this because usually um you, i don't know why i wouldn't have thought that it would but it, it's a good idea <laughs> so maybe people will recognize <laughs> don't do this or you're going to get that so let's talk about what movie did you choose for cautionary tales well it, it has to do a lot with the concept of responsibility okay. uh, that's one of the things that's really important to understand in connection with conscious creation is because you know when you put out to the universe here's what i want to do here's what i want to create um, you're responsible for what results. Mm. So uh, some of the movies that I included there were the Woody Allen comedy Blue Jasmine, where you had a character who was like in pretty much in complete denial of what happened, and yet she was behind all of it. Mm-hmm. Uh, the sci-fi movies uh, Gremlins and Ex Machina, mm-hmm. uh, both of which explore technology kind of run amok. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, the Stanley Kubrick classic Dr. Strangelove, which is all about nuclear war and the insanity behind that. Um, the independent comedy Francis Ha, which came out a few years ago, having to do with the idea of what it's like for somebody who's sort of putting off growing up. <laughs> and also the movie uh, Locke, which is a, a one-man show featuring um, uh, Tom Hardy about somebody who has in many ways kind of screwed up his life but acknowledges that, well, I screwed it up and now I've got to fix it because yeah. I'm the one who, who created it. So, um so all these movies are really important in the fact that they provide cautionary tales to the to the listener and the reader saying, you know, you really got to be careful with what intents that you put out because they're going to come back to you uh, as, as full-blown reflections of what those beliefs are in the first place. Mm-hmm. Yeah, good. And, and hopefully people recognize that when they watch it. You know, I, I, you know, lots of times you watch it and you go, oh, my God, I'd never do that. But you do it in subtle and different ways without thinking about it. Um, so if you don't want, you know, a duck with a tail, be, be very careful about, about what you're creating, you know? It's, well, and that's, again, that's where it comes down to taking a really good assessment of mm-hmm. what your beliefs are. Yeah. Yeah. Really good. It's a fantastic book. I mean, I have to tell you, it is a fantastic book. It's a really good read and it's very, very interesting. So if you like the law of attraction, or you want to know more about the law of attraction, maybe start with the first two and then move your way up to third reel. And the title is interesting. Let, let's talk because it's not real as in movie reel, R E E L, but it is R E A L as in, you know, this is real. Yeah, exactly. But, you know, it is a, you know, it's a play on words, but yes and no is your third book. It's, you know, the third reel. And it, um, let's talk about what the third reel is. And it's, it's apropos because, you know, the third reel in a movie. So let's talk about that for a second. Well, exactly. I mean, you know, one of the things I mentioned in the introduction is back in the days when a lot of movies were shown in theaters actually on film, um, the film would be spooled onto these big reels. Mm-hmm. Uh, and a lot of times, you know, the when you would watch a movie, uh, the projectionist, by the time they would get to the third reel of the movie, that would be typically where the plot would thicken. That's where things really started to get, quote, unquote, real in the course of the unfolding of the story. Well, in many ways, I basically use that same analogy for describing uh, how the conscious creation works, conscious creation process works. 
that um, through the first two books that I that I wrote and I introduced the basic principles, um, you got the the lay of the land, the basic format, the basic roadmap, and now um, this is kind of like in many ways I I think for some people the sink or swim point. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, let's understand exactly how this works. Let's under, let's put these these nuances and finer points of the process into place to help, you know, unfold the reality that we want to get. Um, so in many ways, it's our third real, R-E-A-L moment, just like the third real, R-E-E-L moment that people right. experience when they, when they go to the movies. Very clever, yes. <laughs> and, you know, I just want people to know, these are, these are not thin little books. This, there's a huge weight to these. They're, they're big, big books. So, but, the one, but the one thing I also want readers to know, too, is that I've, is the chapters are broken down into yes. uh, there's an introduction and then a series of reviews. So if you don't feel like necessarily sitting down and reading an entire chapter at a sitting, you could read a review a day. You right. know, and this way you can you can break it down into nice little digestible chunks that you can um, you know absorb over over the course of time. Yeah. And and Brent really generously asked me to write the foreword for Third Reel, and I was thrilled to do it. And as I was reading this book, and I, you know, I reflected back to him the idea of how movies used and still are in some ways um, are used as a means of of um, bringing a common uh, idea and and an unconscious agreement to thinking a certain way um you know the war the war movies that they used to put on yay we're gonna go to war yay and the guys would jump and couldn't wait to sign up become a soldier you know hitler did it you know with the nazis and everybody you know couldn't wait to put a swastika on and and run out there and 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 kill so they're very effective at swaying a mind to a certain uh way of thinking and because they're so persuasive and good at doing that i believe that there's an opportunity here to change consciously and unconsciously the mind of of everyone in the world even if we really put our head together and and came up with a a a movie that was so spectacularly good at at making people believe in a concept such as peace and love and getting along and diversity and all, all the things that we really want hope. And instead of, you know, the alternate to that, then I think that there's a real opportunity to do that and be very effective at it. Oh, absolutely. And, and, and before I forget, I wanted to say thank you so very much for writing the forward. I really do appreciate it. Your your words were just perfect for setting the tone (laughs) for the book. I really do appreciate that. But yes, in terms of the idea of um, of bringing about a change in the way that our reality unfolds on Moss, that was actually a, that's a rather recurring theme throughout the book. Um, mm-hmm. Basically, because you know, if you create your reality, you create the totality of it. So that means we're all in this together. Mm-hmm. That if you know what we're doing is we're doing it collectively, and it's important that we recognize that. Um, I even included a chapter in the book called co-creation which speaks to not only the relationship that we have with our divine collaborator, but also with one another and how we jointly work at creating mutually um, uh, realized efforts. And that includes, you know, movies that, um, that really look at significant social movement changes. For example, um, the, uh, the film uh, She's Beautiful When She's Angry. Is about the the rise of the women's movement during the 70s. Mm-hmm. Um, then there's the film Pride, which is about the rise of the um, the gay rights movement in the UK during the 1980s. At the same time that they were working with uh, striking minors of all people <laughs> to, to yeah. help them bring about the results they wanted to get. Um, then there is also the film Miracle, which was about the 1980 U.S. Olympic hockey team. Yeah. Where you had you know this group of ragtag college students who went out and you know with the Russians who were favored to win everything. Uh, so, you know, they show the way that we can work together in different ways to achieve a mutually beneficial result. And um, that's something that was talked about a little bit in the secret, in the concluding segment of the movie. Um, it kind of got overshadowed, and some people were somewhat critical of, of the film in, in the sense that they said, 
it seems to be driven primarily by personal considerations only. But, you know, in order to be able to get to the point of understanding how we can do these things mutually, you have to start with yourself. You have to see how this process works on an individual basis. And if enough of us do that, then we can start pooling our efforts and say, ooh, we can do more than just create a dream house or the dream relationship. Right. We can create the dream world that we want to get. And that's important because that's really putting conscious creation to use in a way that's, you know, wonderful and beneficial and, you know, really helps everyone out in the long run. Well, there's another principle called the 100th monkey. And so if enough of us, you know, tip the scale in one direction, it should just, you know, spread out. They say, you know, the 100th monkey, by the time it gets to 100 monkey, that it's, it's it, all the monkeys in the world start to do it, whether they live in the same vicinity or not. And so it, it, that's pretty amazing and, and unique. The thing is that the movies that you mentioned, the documentaries, um, they're not they're not available everywhere. They they don't go out on mass. They go to select markets. They go to you know I don't know if they if it's the expense of it or if they think oh these people aren't going to like that movie or what it is. But they're not given the the mass marketing that you know. Uh, what, like a Ducks movie, you know, the Hockey Ducks movie or something like that, you know, would well, get. Well this, is, well, this is true, but that's why we've created Netflix. Yeah, <laughs> and, and yeah. And streaming services yeah. and things like that. So oh, it's fantastic. So, so these, so these yeah. movies are available. It's a question of knowing where to look. Yeah. Um, I think as um, as more and more people are kind of staying away from theaters for whatever reason well, and, watching things at, and <laughs> watching things at home, yeah. um, they still have access to all of this material. And, you know, they can draw upon it to, you know, achieve like you whatever said, they kind have of result. They is. have to find it. So even if it's on Netflix, we have to help Netflix do the marketing. We have to help show people where it is and, you know, ex- give them the – make it exciting to – so that they want to watch it. Exactly. You know, we give them the, the tools and, and they'll pick up, you know, the uh, – the mantle and run with it, hopefully. Well, well and that's one of, the, one of the, the principles I've always tried to use with all my books and the fact that I kind of level the playing field yep. for movies in terms of, you know, you'll see well-known pictures like uh, uh, screen classics like Citizen Kane and All About Eve and, and sure. uh, 2001 and movies like that. But then you also see these little films like, like I mentioned, the, the documentary, She's Beautiful When She's Angry hmm. or um, – the um, the movie that we uh, we talked about on, on the show uh, earlier this year, the the Wisdom Tree. Sure. Um, you know these are films that are not necessarily going to be playing in huge mass release uh, theatrical distribution, but are just as important ultimately in terms of helping understand how some of these principles work, and they deserve equally you know viable chances of being seen by audiences. I wholeheartedly agree. And I get, you know, I often, you know, you review amazing movies and I go, oh, I gotta go find it. And I'm looking everywhere. And I live in a big city. I'm looking everywhere to go so I can see this movie. And I just have to wait for the release, excuse me, or, or something that, you know, for it to come out because um, it sounds so good. And I just really, really want to see it. We're going to a commercial break. And when we come back, um, we can talk about more about the book or we can go to the movies. It's up to you, Brent. We're going to leave you, it up to you. <laughs> you didn't want to find. <laughs> but don't go anywhere. It's Frankie Sentence and more, and Brent Marchant is my guest. I'm your host, Frankie No, Castle. we're just getting warmed up. Frankie Sentence and more. We'll be right back after we pay the bills. It's Marching Okay, ladies, listen up. Did you know recent studies are suggesting that women with skinny waists but sizable hips are smarter than other women? Scientists at the University of Pittsburgh and the University of California gave cognitive tests to a group of 16,000 women and girls of different body types and found the women with the greatest hip-to-waist proportions scored higher. Hmm, I guess that would make me a walking encyclopedia Britannica. No, hold on. That doesn't mean it's okay for us to be a powder pigeon. That's another name for a woman whose sizable hips can take up a whole supermarket aisle. Research suggests that the fat around fuller hips and thighs holds higher levels of omega-3 fatty acids, which helps the brain. I'm not sure if I would rather be able to do the Sunday crossword puzzle or get into those jeans I bought 10 years ago. I'm Carolyn Davidson, and you can have fun challenging your words-you-never-heard vocabulary with my free app, Too Funny for Words. 
It's the Fitness Minute with fitness expert, Annette Hammond. Did you wake up on the wrong side of the bed? Does your attitude need a lift? Does your mood need a boost? Well then, it's time for a good workout. Exercise is a remedy for a bad mood, like aspirin is for a headache. Weight Watchers reports that exercise decreases the body's levels of cortisol, which is a stress hormone and contributes to depression. The endorphins that you produce when you exercise can lift your spirits and put you in a good mood. Exercise can act as an antidepressant drug because it produces feel-good neurotransmitters like dopamine and serotonin. Let the benefits of exercise give you a lift and put you in a good mood. I think it's safe to say we all would appreciate it. I'm Annette Hammond. To hear more fitness and weight loss tips, visit our website at AnnetteHammond.com. And we're back. <laughs> Thanks for sticking around. Brent and I sure appreciate it. We are going to uh, talk a little bit more about the book, and then we're going to go take you to the movies so you know what you should be watching this weekend, if you're lucky. Um, Brent, I know that Roger... Ebert was somebody that you really looked up to, and, and you know, we'd be amiss if we didn't uh, chat about him for a moment. Oh, absolutely. I mean, um, you know, as a, as a Chicago resident myself, where Roger did all of his work, uh, I had, was fortunate enough to be able to see his, his efforts in the newspaper and on television for so many years. And one of the things I really liked about Roger was the fact that he had such a terrific sense of integrity in terms of how he looked at, at movies and how he reviewed them. And he uh, was really significant to me from the standpoint that I also use in my writing about leveling the playing field, as I talked a moment ago about, mm-hmm. um, you know, including the work not only of the major blockbusters, but also of the lesser-known films as well. And um, there was a film biography that came out about him not long after he died a few years ago called uh, Life Itself, which is based on his personal memoir. And it's one of the, the movies that I include in the book. Uh, it's in the section uh, referring to destiny and value fulfillment, which has to do with using conscious creation to achieve the life that um, you are meant to live. Mm-hmm. And um, it's, a, it's a terrific film. It's a really uh, it's an excellent tribute to him, uh, really shows who he was, what he was about. And uh, I thought it was really very fitting to be able to include that movie in that particular chapter because it's reflective not only of what he did, but what if I do, what I do or attempt to do. And um, it's a movie I think that a lot of people would really enjoy. Particularly nice. if they really, if they're big film buffs. What do you think about Rotten Tomatoes? Um, it's okay. You know, good I, job, bad um, job. Yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a basically a pretty good, a pretty good um, website. They've gotten better over the years. Uh, mm-hmm. I refer to that. I also refer to Metacritic. Um, and it's it's nice to have like an aggregating um, uh, co- a warehouse for um, you know seeing what a variety of critics are thinking about a particular movie. So, yeah, um, I, I find a lot of people, depending upon where they live, let's say, um, oh, that was a terrible movie, and I think, oh, I'm going to like it then if you think it's terrible because it must mean you had to think <laughs> or something, you know? Like generally, I think the opposite. And sometimes they are terrible movies, and other times it's like, oh my god, you guys missed the boat. I, from my standpoint, I find usually I agree with them maybe fifty to sixty percent of the time. Yeah. Yeah. You know, sometimes I, I look I at find and say, "Pretty good." Yeah. I sometimes look at it and going, you know, what were you guys thinking? Yeah. <laughs> and other times I say, "Yeah, you guys nailed it." So. Yeah, there was two last week. I can't remember. You might know who they were. They 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 got a hundred percent, and it's very rare to get a hundred percent. Wonderful, you know, amazing, on there. Maybe it, maybe it was one of the movies that we're going to talk about today. It could be The Battle of the Sexes. Well, that's certainly very high on my list right now. It, it's been out for a little while, but it's a really terrific comedy and drama that shows the um, uh, profiles of the, the famous tennis match between Billie Jean King and Bobby Riggs in the early 70s, um, showing how, about how we can overcome limitations and um, – you know, defy the odds to achieve things that, you know, most people would say, oh, that's, ne- that's never going to happen. That mm-hmm. could never be possible. Uh, terrific performances by Steve Carell and uh, Emma Stone in the lead roles. It's almost like I, when I was watching it, I, was, I felt like I, they were channeling the characters. And stuff. Oh, yeah. I mean, they do so, such great jobs in capturing the, um, 
the personalities of the two leads, and also just in the way in terms of the whole movie really captures um, the essence of what that whole event was about, because in many ways that was sort of like one of the first big media events. It just got so blown out of proportion seemingly for for what it was, which was a tennis match ultimately. But, yeah, what Bobby was what? He was like 40-something? He was 42? in his 50s. He was like oh, 55, was, I believe. Was he that old? Yeah. And, 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 and she really was 29. Was 29, <laughs> yeah, which Emma is just turning 29 or just turned 29, so it's pretty cool. But it's a, that's a wonderful movie. And, you know, to think that he was going to get – Pay ten thousand, and she was going to get a thousand. She's like, "What?" <laughs> <laughs> but it really, you know, she actually liked him. She actually liked because yeah. he had been an idol of hers, you know. Uh, as she became, you know, a tennis champ, like she, she really liked him. But he was a misogynist pig, and you know, it really shows it during the time seventies. You know, I guess a lot of guys were, and you didn't think about it the same way as now. We're a lot more sensitive to it, especially when our president, when your president does it. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> a lot more sensitive to certain things. Before it was, you know, oh, I like women a lot in the kitchen and in the bedroom. Yeah, exactly. Okay, <laughs> don't get away with those remarks today. <laughs> Not at all. But then there's that beautiful, you know, uh, Victorian Abdul film, which uh, Judy Jench is my most favorite, favorite actress of all time. So anything she's in, I'm always going to love it anyway. But here, you know, you talk about diversity and age difference and culture difference, but go for it. Oh, and especially at a time when those things were far less tolerated than they are now. Yes. Um, The film follows the friendship between Queen Victoria, played by Judi Dench, and uh, a person who became her one of her best friends, um, a Muslim from um, India who was originally came to England just as for a minor ceremonial event, and they ended up connecting and striking a friendship, and uh, it's uh, blossomed into a, a long-term thing that, that they both got a lot out of, even though all the people around them sort of turned up their nose and saying, what is she hanging around with him for? Well, it's interesting because, you know, one of the protocols that he was, you know, um, told never give eye contact to the queen. Like, you just don't look at her, right? And really, it was that eye contact that was that first connection, that spark, you know, and and it's interesting. And that's important from a conscious creation perspective Mm -hmm. because it really shows how all connected we really are. Mm -hmm. And and that really sort of brought it into sharp focus. It's something as simple as as a glance can suddenly create a realization that may not have materialized any other way. Well, you know, when people say namaste, um, they're saying, I recognize the God in you and the God in me. So that eye contact, the window of the soul, is very important to make a connection. It'd be hard if you can't, you know. I mean, if you're blind, I guess you do it in a different way. But for those of us who see, that's that's how we do it. You know? <laughs> now, the, one, the one caveat I have with this movie is I, I do understand that they may have taken some license with some of the sure. historical aspects of it. So that's that's something to kind of bear in mind. I don't know exactly how authentic it is, but the important thing is it's it's inspiring, it's entertaining, uh, and and beautiful to look at. So with a, with that in mind, it's a good it's a good time with the movies. Yeah. Can we talk about Lucky for a moment? Sure. Lucky is a, an independent movie that just came out not too long ago. Features one of the last performances of the actor Harry Dean Stanton. And basically it tells the story of a a 90-year-old atheist who's managed to somehow outlive just about everybody he knew. And he's wondering why he keeps living and keeps going on, especially since he seems to feel that life is rather pointless. But then he experiences a minor health scare that kind of wakes him up and Mm -hmm. makes him realize, well, maybe I need to take a closer look at this. So over the course of the rest of the film, he spends his time seeing some of the the truths about existence, about reality, and that just come from some of the simple pleasures in life. Um, the, the ironic part is, from what I understand, in many ways, this was almost an autobiographical role for Stanton. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's kind of an interesting way for him to sort of round out his career. So, um, Well, he died September 15th this year, so not that long ago. Yeah. And he was 90 years old. I mean, yeah. he does not look 90 years old. Like, no. he really didn't. And I thought, oh, they found an old actor to look like he was. <laughs> but, it, you know, he, there he is, 90 years old. And, and it's interesting. Like, my father-in-law died 
two weeks ago, 99 years old. He couldn't wait to die because he felt that way. He felt like all my friends are gone. I've got nothing, you know, like, what am I living here for? Like, yeah. why can't I just go already? And he, and he got himself so healthy that he couldn't die. But you know, it's kind of funny. Well, in the a thing way. is, you know, by, by living that long, though, um, uh, the character in Lucky, he buys himself a gift of time. Yeah. In order to figure these things out. So even though, um, by all rights, as you know, somebody who was you know, a regular drinker and a chain smoker, he probably should have keeled over a long time ago. He just kept going on and on and on and on. And uh, like I said, he bought himself a time to figure things out. So How cool um, is that? What a way to yeah. go. And what a so great it's, performance it's, to leave on. Oh, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, you know, and a prolific actor he was. He really was. I mean, just hundreds of movies and yeah. television appearances over the years. I mean, I, I, you go, oh, yeah, yeah. Who is he? Oh, that's who he is. Yeah. <laughs> you, know? you see and him in many ways, And in many ways, this really was like the crowning achievement of his career. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's amazing. I love it. Well, we got three minutes. Let's keep going. Um, well, one that is kind of bombed at the box office, but I actually liked in a lot of ways, is the new Blade Runner sequel, Blade Runner okay. 2049. Um, beautiful to look at. Um, really interesting story. Um, don't want to give away too much about it because that would reveal too much of the story, but, but basically um, it's a, a very sophisticated sci-fi film. It probably helps if you saw the original Mm-hmm. Uh, you don't have to, but I think you would get more appreciation out of it. Um, it's a little bit on the long side; it's like two hours and forty-five minutes. I think. Oh wow! Yeah, I think they could have cut it down a little bit, but um, it, it's really um, very inspiring in a lot of ways, uh, and it deals again with the idea of creating a collective reality, with the idea of is this the really really the way you want things to turn out as a group? Yeah. Well, there you go. Conscious creation. Yeah. A, a cautionary tale. And two others I'll throw in real quickly that people might want to see. Uh, the new film, Breathe, with Andrew Garfield, about somebody who overcame his affliction. Oh, not, yeah. Overcame his, um, his, um, his isolation due to polio. Thank He's you, wonderful. Yeah, with the, uh, the, the love of his, his wife, played by uh, Claire Foy. And what an amazing woman she was. Yeah. Holy and, crap. And also the, uh, the meditative film, Columbus. Uh, featuring I'm a, still trying to see Columbus. A, breakout so role with a really terrific breakout role by the actor John Cho, who's probably best known for playing Mr. Sulu in the new Star Trek movies. I really uh, like him. Uh, beautifully filmed, uh, set in the architectural mecca of Columbus, Indiana. A um, little slow moving, but it's always keeping your attention as you're going through. So. Those are two others I'd recommend. Yeah, I think Breathe is going to be just absolutely stand up. Probably it'll probably get an award, I would think this year. Uh, I don't know if it's going to get any awards, but I think it may pick up a couple nominations at least. Yeah, yeah, I think it's pretty cool. Well, you have listened to Brent Marshaw. He's given you some wonderful movies to go out and watch. He's given you three great books for you to read. I don't know what else you want from him. <laughs> My goodness, and he's got an amazing new website: triple w dot. Brent Marchant, M-A-R-C-H-A-N-T dot com. So make sure you go there and you can get a free download sample of the book on the Good Radio Network, www.thegoodradionetwork.com. Go there or go to Brent's and you can get a free sample copy of Third Reel. So there you have it, uh, freebies and books and movies, all kinds of wonderful things for you to go out and do this weekend. Take care, everybody. It's been wonderful to hang out with you today on Frankie Sent Some More. I'm your host, Frankie Picasso. We'll see you next week. Hit Rash Production.